Okay, if you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 34. Matthew 6, 31 to 34. Let's begin reading the word. Therefore, do not worry then, saying, what are we to eat, or what are we to drink, or what are we to wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be provided to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's bow our heads. Lord, as I've reflected upon these words this week, as we as a congregation reflect upon these words, let us remember that they're active and living words, Lord. So let us focus on your words in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Let's remember a couple of weeks ago, okay? An awesome message by Dwayne. In this passage, in a lot of different translations, in the one that I did, it said, therefore, okay? As my English teacher always said, therefore, for what, okay? Well, that therefore indicates that Jesus is drawing a conclusion based on the preceding truth that since God provides for the basic needs of the birds, the basic needs of the flowers, and then even more so for his own sons and daughters, we have no need to worry. Worry over the essentials of life has no place in the believer's life. Let me repeat that. Worry over the essentials of life has no place in the believer's life. God will provide for our needs. Everybody can see plainly that the main point of the text, including two weeks ago when Dwayne, and I just, his passage and my passage is just kind of one big passage. Let me just remind you, verse 25 says, do not worry about your life. Verse 31 You know, don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow. So one thing should ring very loud in our ears when you leave this morning. Namely, Jesus does not want us to do what? Worry, okay? But you see... In that passage, it's just the negative way of stating the main point, okay? That's the negative, right? Do not, do not, do not, do not, do not, okay? Well, I want us to focus today on the positive way. Instead of the negative, do not worry, I want us this morning to focus on the positive way found in verse 33. 
And that's where our eyes are going to focus mainly there on verse 33. The positive way of instead of worrying is as it simply says, seek first God's kingdom. In other words, when you think about your life, when you think of of your food or your clothes or your spouse or your job or your mission or, you know, I could go on forever and ever and ever. It says, don't fret about them. Instead, this passage, as we will find out, says to make God the king in that affair and in that moment and hand over everything to him, the king of our lives. And do his righteous will with the confidence that he will work for you and meet all your needs. You see, to seek the kingship of God first in every affair, in every moment of life, is a thrilling way to live. It's full of freedom. It's full of peace. It's full of joy. It's full of adventure. And yes, it is full of hardship. But you know what? It's worth it all. You know, it's... Under Crouch, one of his songs says, I've got confidence God is going to see me through. If you believe in the kingship of your heavenly father, you do not need to be anxious about anything. So what must I do instead of worrying? Well, Matthew 6.33 tells us this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. So as I share today, I want to talk about some of these firsts. We're going to talk about four firsts that we're supposed to seek, okay? Seek first the kingdom of God. So number one, it says, seek God in the first part of your day, okay? That's the first one I want to talk about. Seek God in the first part of your day. You see, some of us wake up every morning and say, good morning, Lord. Other of us wake up and say, good Lord, it's morning. (laughs) Which do you do? You see, prayer should be something you do at the very beginning of your day. You should ask God's blessing on your day and seek his guidance as we walk that day. I say, don't give God the part of your day when you're worn out, when you can't think straight, when you can hardly keep your eyes wide open. We need to give him the best part of your day. And I know, I I can hear everybody saying, oh, I'm not a morning person. You're still, you look up physiologically, you're still the best of your day that you're going to be that day, okay? Because you haven't started That's where your true priorities will be discovered. From getting dressed to setting your schedule. Ask him to help you make choices that glorify him. I know. Oh, do I know. 
We live in a world which makes many demands upon us, right? I know I talk to Chris all the time. It's, he's here. Thing. The sheer number of these ma- demands that we hear may truly overwhelm us, and I know they do. We rush from the minute our feet hit the floor in the morning till we drop, and we're exhausted at night in our bed. You know, let me just go through some of those. Okay, we get up. We have breakfast. We get the kids ready for school. We work. We pick them up from school. We have all these extracurricular activities, whether it's sports or dance or whatever. Depending on what kind of work we do, we have after work commitments and then it goes etc 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 okay does that sound like some of our schedules here then multiply that by the x amount of kids you have i know smiths that's a lot okay (laughs) and you can see the exhausted state too many of us find ourselves in But you see, the establishment of a time of prayer and devotion will not come easily. It will require perseverance. For you and I face the opposition of Satan himself, who is dead set against us putting God first. He doesn't want us to put God first in the morning. He doesn't want to put God first before we establish our schedule. He doesn't want to put God first. Okay. But daily prayer is so vital to our Christian life. I remember about a couple of months ago, Matt preaching and saying, prayer is not the manufacturing of well turned phrases okay we don't have to get fancy it is simply talking to God and telling him about everything that concerns you okay I have this in work I have this in my school oh my son has a big project after school he's got a very tough game Prayers expressing to God what's on our heart. It's seeking his guidance for us and for our lives. Since Jesus is not only our savior, his guidance for us is vital if we're going to have a good day. It is indeed important that we should ask him what our duties for the day shall be. Good morning, Lord. Or, oh, Lord, you know, good morning, okay? Early every day, I admonish us to pray. I admonish us to read the Bible. I admonish us to have some kind of devotional time. Take time for prayer. Meditate upon his holy word and allow him to search your heart first thing in the morning. 
Let me ask you, have you ever noticed that the great saints of the Bible often met with God when? Yeah, in the morning. If you don't remember, let me just give you a few examples. Abraham, in Genesis 19, got up very early to stand before the Lord. Jacob woke up with the first light of the morning to worship God after having seen visions of angels in the night. Moses went early to meet the Lord at Mount Sinai. Joshua got an early start when he prepared to capture Jericho. Gideon made his way at dawn to examine the fleece he had placed in the ground to discern God's will. Job left his bed at an early morning to offer sacrifices to the Lord on behalf of his children. Oh, isn't that a novel? And it goes on and on and on throughout the whole of scriptures. If that's not enough, we are told countless times about Jesus. Let me just remind you of one. Mark 1.35. In the morning, long before daylight. Okay, so that's even beyond most of our time, okay? He got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. I ask you, if it was important for Jesus, how much more so must it be for you and I? You see, it is essential for us to ask God for his grace, his strength, and power to be able to know and do his will for that day. Because if we're not prepared, what's going to happen? Okay, we all know, right? It's called Murphy's Law. Okay, let me ask you a simple question. Maybe it won't be simple. What are you seeking first? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God by praying? Or are you seeking first your favorite TV program? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God by reading the Bible? Or are you seeking first the daily newspaper? I like this illustrated illustration there was a noted young concert violinist she was asked the secret of her success you know what her reply was planned neglect now i know that sounds kind of weird we're going to explain what planned neglect is then she explained years ago i discovered that there were many things demanding my time after washing breakfast dishes, I made my bed, I straightened my room, I dusted the furniture, I vacuumed, and did a bunch of other chores. I then turned my attention to violin practice. That system, however, failed to accomplish the desired results. I was exhausted. I wasn't focused. So I had... So I realized I had to reverse things. I deliberately set aside everything else until my practice period ended. That program of planned neglect 
she says is the reason she's so successful. My friends, put priority on daily Bible study and prayer. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then what does it say? And then all those things shall be added unto you. Okay? It will help you through the day. Ordinary events will become sacred events because he was involved in everything. Seek God first part of your day. So as we go on to the next step, let me ask you this one last question. Are we making God a priority as we establish our day? Or are we worried about what's going to happen at work or what's going to happen at school, kids? Or what's going to happen as we play the first place team in our soccer game or whatever? So seek God in the first part of your day. Secondly, we need to seek God in the first day of the week. We need to seek God in the first day of the week. To the Jews, the last day of the week was considered the Sabbath. The Sabbath day is clearly designated as a sign between the Jews and God. But as the New Testament believers, we observe Sunday, the first day of the week, as a day on which to worship God. It was the first day of the week that Jesus was raised from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is that great cornerstone of our faith. If you don't believe that, read 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection of Christ was God's great stamp of approval on Jesus that he was everything he had claimed he was. So from the time forward, from that time forward, Christians have met on the first day of the week to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This was the practice of the disciples. It was the practice of the early church. And I really believe it should be the practice of us as believers. Now, I'm not trying to be legalistic here, okay? So let me make that real plain here. But I believe if we put God first, if we put him first, his day, and we keep that first day of the week, the Lord's day, will be kept holy. You see, the Lord's day should be set aside to worship God. A day of spiritual reflection. A day of spiritual fellowship. If you don't believe that, let me remind you of Hebrews 10.25. Not abandoning our own meeting together as is the habit of some people but if encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This verse encourages believers not to abandon meeting with other believers. 
but it encourages us to keep meeting together regularly. One of the most important habits you will develop in life is the holy habit of meeting regular with other Christians for worship and fellowship. But you see, this verse warns us about the opposite habit that some believers fall into, the habit of not meeting together with other Christians. Sunday morning worship service is a wonderful time to come together to worship God. Now, I want to make it real plain here. Sunday morning service is generally for worship. So you ask yourself, what does that mean about fellowship? Well, just hold on. Let's look at the worship service, right? You think of the service. What do you think? Most of us are sitting forward right now, right? We're not talking to each other. We sing worship hymns by standing up and facing there. You all are sitting there focusing on the word of God. And yes, unfortunately today because of communion, we didn't even have our fellowship time, our greeting time. So the main focus of Sunday morning is generally more vertical than it is horizontally. We gather together to worship God. But if you look at that passage, it needs to be more than that. We need that horizontal of Christian fellowship. So you say, how do we get that? Well, let me just remind you. We do have community groups. We do have scripture for living. We have women's Bible studies that Jan does and other ladies do. We have men of the word. We have Sunday school classes, whether that's faith builders or balas. We have youth. We have core. We have VBS coming up. You can all fill in the blanks, okay? Which is why one of the main purposes of a church is to receive members into fellowship and service. I know the elders, it says, we want you to experience the joy and privilege of growing in Christ by meeting with fellow believers regularly. There is an important time of taking time to commune privately. Okay, I already established that, right? What are we supposed to do first thing in the morning? Seek him, him. Okay, seek him, okay? But there's an equally important time to meet as a body. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. However, we are surrounded on every side by the lust of the flesh, by the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And Christians that choose to forsake joining together with other Christian believers in worship and fellowship isolate themselves and have a hard time of being encouraged. They have a hard time of being ex 
of corrected. We as a body need to seek God in the first day of the week. We need to be reminded, as it says in 1 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's day of the week, that first day of the week, should be a sacred and holy day. Let me make it real plain here. I'm not saying we can't do things, okay? okay. But too many people have inserted the letters IDA into the word holy between the letters L and Y. Okay. It's, I know you're all trying to think, what does that mean? Okay. If we, if we, put, if we put the word letters IDA in between the letter L and the letter Y in holy, we make... Sunday, a holiday instead of a holy day. Let me give you a math lesson here. Okay, you knew you weren't going to get around without math and a math teacher. There's 168 hours in each week. Can you imagine that? We spend 56 hours sleeping, eight hours per day if we're lucky. I know a lot of us, a lot less than that. We spend 20, uh, 21 hours eating, if you count one hour per day, or per meal. At a minimum, and I emphasize, at a minimum, we spend 40 hours working each week. Let me do the math here. That totals 117 hours out of the 168 hours, and I haven't even talked about anything else. If out of one week, I spend 117 hours at a minimum for yourself, should I not give God at least a couple hours on Sunday and during the week for fellowship and worship of him? Let me ask you, what are you seeking first? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God by attending worship at church? Or are you seeking first a leisurely weekend? And I know we need that, okay? So let me make that plain before anybody gets upset that I'm not trying to throw versions at holidays. A Chinese Christian used the following parable to illustrate the ideal of robbing God regarding our time. Here's his parable. It came to pass that a man went to a market with a string of seven coins. Seeing a beggar asking for alms, he gave the poor man six of the coins and kept one for himself. The beggar, however, instead of being thankful, followed the good man and stole the seventh coin. What an ungrateful wretch, you may exclaim. Yes, but you see, there are those to whom God has given six days and who steal the seventh day also. We don't give him the first day of the week, or we don't give him a day of the week alone. 
You see, as a Christian, you will find real spiritual growth in giving the Lord his day. So you see, we're supposed to seek God first thing in the morning. Seek God the first day of the week. Thirdly, we need to seek God by giving him the first part of your income. Seek God by giving him the first part of your income. The prophet Malachi tells us to bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And if you do, says the Lord Almighty, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to try it, to take it in. Try it. Let me prove it to you. That's a New Living Translation. As a Christian, I am interested in having the blessing of God on my life. Yes, God is concerned about my financial needs. Even if you have a problem with the word tithe, okay, and I know some people do, God still expects us to give him the first fruits of our income. God is concerned about our financial needs. And he, is, he wants to pour out a blessing so great. I will not have enough room to take it all in, God says. You say, what is a tithe? Well, Webster, let me give you a Webster dictionary definition of tithe. It is the giving of one-tenth part of one's income for the support of the church. Tithing is not something the church dropped up. Tithing is God's biblical plan to finance the work of his church here on earth. It is God's approved way of financing his church. It is clearly taught both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It might be used as the word apportionment instead of tithe, but we're supposed to set up aside. So I ask you, how faithful are you in the giving of of your first fruits to the Lord. How cheerfully do you participate in the giving of your tithes and offering? You know, the New Testament says God loves a cheerful giver. I think giving first fruits is a test of your acknowledgement of the ownership of God over your whole life. Your life includes the stewardship of time, yes but it includes the stewardship of money. God is the owner of all things. All that you have belongs to God. I get perturbed when people say, I can't afford to give. I can't afford to tithe. I'm, unfortunately, I think a lot of times they're saying, I can't put God first in my income. If God is first, we will not hesitate to make him Lord over our material possessions. A pastor in praying before the offerings stated this, Lord, after all is said and done, here's what we really think of you. Now, I'm not trying to give a guilt trip here, okay? So I'm going to make it fact here, okay? In fact, 
the tithes and offerings should be a cheerful part of worship. In this way, we acknowledge God as the giver of all we possess. I don't know, you know, in this way we confess our faith. Again, let me remind you of Malachi. He promised that if we bring our tithes, he will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. I don't know how God does it, but I have witnessed it over and over and over again. When we give our tithe, when we give him the first fruits of our offering, somehow that 90% or whatever percent we want to give him goes further than that 100%. You know, see, God's math doesn't work the same as our math does. I'm reminded of a young Christian family. I could put myself in it. I remember this conversation with my pastor 50 years ago. The father, a new Christian, heard a sermon on tithing, and he wanted to do what was right, but he hardly was making ends meet as it was. But he determined he was going to give God He was going to put God to the test, which is not always a good ideal. And he gave his tithe on Sunday morning. Back then, it came to $20. The next Sunday, he came to his pastor with a glow in his face and a smile on his lips as he told him how how that week an offer was given to him that saved him $20 a week. The exact amount of his tithe. You see, the pastor of that church understood. He had seen God do it over and over again. How do you determine how, when, and how much you should give him as a first fruit of offering? I'm not going to be your judge. But let me just give you some practical examples of how we can do it. Number one, let's pray. Okay? If your goal is to obey God... It only makes sense that you would first go to him in prayer and ask him what you should give. Prepare. God calls us to be good stewards of the blessings he has given us. That means knowing what we are able to give and when and have a plan. We need to prioritize. Okay. Oh, you know, I know we don't like that word. The whole idea behind a first fruit gift is to put God what? First, okay? Finally, we just need to give. In a couple weeks, Chris is going to preach and he's going to be asking it shall be given, seeking ye shall find. What did that verses 31, 34 say? What are we not supposed to do? Worry. Okay, we're not supposed to worry. So give and it shall be given. Let's not worry about what will happen. The process of giving above your normal tithe can help prepare your thing. So the third thing is that we need to give God the first part of our income. Okay, first part of our day. 
first day of the week, first part of your income. I know I can see everybody says oh, Fred's meddling today. No, I'm just preaching the word. Finally, we need to seek God by giving him first place in our heart. First place in our heart. Put him before pleasure. Put him before position. Put him before popularity. Put him before possessions. God wants a wholehearted devotion. For too many Christians have pushed God so far back in the operating procedures of life that it's almost as if he's not even there. We are not the first to be misled. We're not the first to be misguided or misdeformed. Ever since sin walked into the scene of the human heart, the heart has been out of focus. We've been seeking after diamonds and golds while dismissing the voice of God. We've been seeking after cheap imitation designing clothes instead of remember that we have white robes of righteousness waiting for us. We've been seeking after good health while holiness is neglected. We've been seeking after palaces of brick and mortar while homes of grace and godliness are passed by. We've been seeking for our pain to be alleviated while we turn our backs on God's purposes for our lives. You see, the only way out of our predicament, the only way to discard our wish list of toys and trinkets is to allow Jesus to take his seat as the king on all things. Oswald Chambers said it so well. Beware of anything that competes with loyalty to Jesus Christ. My friends, Seek the king first and his kingdom with all your heart. We tend to seek things, not God. We seek our comfort, not God. Things can never give us direction in life. Things can never comfort us in a lasting way. Things can never instill within us the wisdom we need to understand what God has in store for us. Things are just what? Things, okay? Things are just things, but God is God. The highest desire that can possess us is a desire to be like Jesus. Our greatest need is to seek God with all of our heart. Give him first place in your heart. In conclusion, the reason so many people are dying spiritually today is they fail to let God be first in their lives. So in closing, let God be first in your life. Put God first. Seek God by giving him the first part of your day. Seek God by giving him the first day of your week. Seek God by giving him the first part of your income. Seek God by giving him first place in your heart. See, God wants to be number one. 
James 4.14 says this way, you do not know what will happen tomorrow for what is life. It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You see, our life here will last at best 90, 100 years, okay? In the scheme of eternity, is that very long? No. But the life hereafter will last for eternity. What is your greatest desire for today? Is it to please God and seek his will first and lay up treasures for eternity? Or is it to live for the things of the world without much thought of eternity? As I was thinking about this sermon, I'm reminded about a month ago in my faith builders class. And one of my favorite things in faith builders class is to do hymnology. And I like to throw hymns that maybe they had never heard of. One of the hymns that I went over, I want to read you the words before I close. It says this, give of your best to the master, give him the strength of your youth, Throw your soul's fresh glowing ardor into the battle for truth. Jesus has set the example. Dauntless was he, young and brave. Give him your loyal devotion. Give him the best that you have. The chorus says, give of your best to the master. Give the strength of the youth. Clad in salvation's full armor, join in the battle of truth. Second verse says, give of your best to the master. Give him first place in your heart. Give him first place in your service. Consecrate every part. Give and to you shall be given. God, his beloved son, gave. Gratefully seeking to serve him. Give him the best that you have. And the final verse says, give of your best to the master. Not else is worthy his love. He gave himself for your ransom gave up his glory above, laid down his life without murmur, you from sin's ruin to save. Give him your heart's adoration. Give him the best that you have. You see, if we put the Lord's first, nothing else will get out of order. He should have priority in our thoughts. He should have a priority in our motives. He should have our priorities as we wake up in the morning, as we go to sleep at night, as we come first thing Sunday morning, as we think about our finances. Making a living is a mere incident, but making a life is the reason for which you have been placed on this world. If we put God first, all other good things will be added to us. In closing, I want to give you this illustration. Many years ago, a package was sent from England to South Africa. The man to whom the box was co-signed, however, refused to pay the delivery charges. And for 14 years, it was used as a footstool in the express office. Finally, the co-signer died, and the box was put up for an auction with other unclaimed articles. 
Out of curiosity, a man bid on it and secured it at a very, very, very low price. When he opened it, he was greatly surprised to find several thousand pounds in English banknotes. Because the man to whom it had been sent refused to pay the comparatively trifling delivery charges, he had missed a considerable fortune. So too, he who refuses to meet the requirements of Jesus regarding discipleship is even more short-sighted. What the Lord asks regarding us is complete dedication. Let me remind you of Matthew 6.33 again. Seek ye, what? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. See God first in your day, your week, your income, your heart. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, you are our Lord. As we seek, let us seek ye first. And everything we do in every part of our lives, and we'll give you.